Welcome to another edition of Tied Together. And today we're going to be talking about digital and aviation with Simon Tallingsmith, who is a senior advisor in the travel industry and is currently working on the Commons Project Foundation. Simon, welcome to the show today. Thank you, Katrina. Nice to be with you. Let's talk a little bit about, you know, your experience within aviation and also what you're work, currently working on right now, which is the Commons Project Foundation and also advisor to several airlines, having worked for BA for a considerable amount of time. So let, let's discuss your uh, background. Yeah, you're right. So I've uh, had a long career in travel, nearly all with airlines and a large slice of that, British Airways, but also tiny startup airlines out of California and large and emerging quality airlines in the Middle East like Qatar Airways. A lot of that time uh, within those airlines I spent in technology, uh, the business end of technology rather than the development end of technology, particularly implementing change. Um, The first big change, the Internet 1.0, for those who remember Internet 1.0, brought to us back in the early 2000s through the next wave of changes and data, etc., and I've still got a great passion for it. I still work with and advise several uh, small startups, technology startups now who are still making differences in the world of travel and the experience that we have as customers and purchasers and passengers along the way. Okay. Um, you know, also you're, you're working on, on the Commons Project Foundation, and that's to do with sort of crossing borders and also health as well. Yeah, Commons Project Foundation is a non-profit organization based out of Geneva. And Commons Project Foundation has a very sort of noble cause. It's really to use the power of the internet, digital services for the common good, rather than just to make profit for a handful of Californian mega companies. And part of the drive is to put individuals in control of their own data. That's a real sort of self-sovereign philosophy. And it's been doing that predominantly over the last two years, of course, during pandemic with health credentials. How can I hold my health credential? It might be my test. It might be my vaccine certificate uh, securely myself and control who's going to see that uh, rather than my health data being sort of banded around the world randomly and without much thought. So it's all about the power of the individual. Right. And will airlines, for example, you know, be using this data and get involved with this project? Sure. Yeah. I mean, airlines have been big users of health data over the last two years. You know, most most airlines have been checking passengers, test certificates and vaccination certificates over the last few years. And, and in many cases, they've had to. I mean, for example, the philosophy of the U.S. government Uh, has been, okay, we're going to lay down the rules, but we're not going to check them. The airlines are going to check them and effectively effectively devolve that responsibility to the airlines and put a tremendous strain on the airlines. And the airlines, in the case of the US, have had to sort of stand up teams of anything from 50 to 100 people just to manage that checking process in in the back office. So this is going to make it more uh, fluid? Hopefully. Hopefully. Hopefully, yes. And so, yeah, Let's talk about, you know, how digital has changed airline industries over the years, you know, from when you started to to sort of where we are today. Yeah, I mean, if you think about it, I mean, airlines have always been great users of technology. Uh, Going back to the sort of early days of Internet, think back to the kind of mid, late 90s, when 
internet 1.0 was springing on us all and we were all starting to learn to grapple with ideas like websites and travel was one of the first industries to really engage with that you know like i guess the big big first one was sort of amazon and books and cds wasn't it but travel was very quick and so we think back to brands like travelocity and lastminute.com and expedia all worked out that airline tickets were something that you could sell digitally quite easily the great thing of course about selling an airline ticket is there's no product to ship right you don't need to get involved with putting stuff in the post you just got to make a booking and the reason they plugged into that much much more quickly than hotels was that the airlines even then had all of their inventory their availability how much does it cost me to go from barcelona to new york on the 4th of january at this time that was all available from one or two very large systems and so you could plug into those systems and you could build yourself a little booking engine as they called it then and people could buy tickets the airlines woke up to that really quick and the airlines said well wait there we're like we want to be doing this ourselves we don't just want expedia and travelocity to do this because the airlines saw there was an opportunity to save money and honestly that's what it was all about in the original days saving costs being more efficient yet you have to bear in mind that back in those days airlines would be spending about 20 cents in the dollar on just selling the ticket right marketing and selling the ticket that's that's before you've even got a ticket in your hand and they've spent 20 cents of your dollar and in a business that's notoriously unprofitable that's just a disgrace these days that number's fallen to maybe 4 or 5 cents in the dollar and all thanks to digital technology the fact that airlines can sell tickets and distribute them much much more effectively mm-hmm. so that's where they got into it and as they went through it they started to realize oh actually some of these things like people buying their own tickets us sending them electronic tickets instead of paper tickets you remember those crazy paper tickets they used to get sent around the world like mad yes through to checking yourself in for your flight i i remember when we created the first facility to print your own boarding pass at home and it was like a revolution people were like what you mean i don't need to go to the check-in counter and line up anymore how fantastic they realized that actually this could be an improvement to the customer experience and was sort of a, a sweet spot of business where it's more efficient and a better experience and then they really pile into it and so then through the, the 2000s airlines put a lot of money into their sort of digital transformation mhm so i mean has that sped up you know more recently due to the pandemic I know I don't think so I think it's been consistent I think they they've they have been tackling this problem for all of that time and in fact I would say they probably made a bigger impact in the first decade than the second decade of the digital world uh, as crazy as that sounds I think that some of those those experiences that we enjoy as customers haven't really got a lot better I mean if you think about it most airlines have introduced apps on mobile phones it's a little bit better but not a lot better yet and part of that is because airlines still grapple with quite a dizzying array of legacy systems and legacy processes a few minutes ago i spoke of the big databases where airlines keep all of their inventory those are effectively 40 or 50 year old technologies and they're still having to connect to them and their check-in system they still have to connect to that and it's different 
And so sewing all of that together has proven very, very hard. And as is true with nearly all sort of digital transformations, the companies that move fast are the companies that start from nowhere. So the low-cost airlines who have grown to become some of the most successful businesses in the whole industry, Ryanair, probably one of the most profitable airlines in the world consistently for 20 years now. EasyJet, Southwest, Wiz, Scoot, all of these names around the world, they do really well because they don't have any legacy. They just started on a digital platform and and they went from there and and it was really, really successful. Mm-hmm. Mine, as I've noticed, has, has slightly improved since uh, since COVID happened. I think they've, they've had time to think about what matters for the, when it comes to, you know, looking after the customer and not having so many complaints. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's a different model, isn't it? Right? Like Ryanair, the self-proclaimed low fares airline, that's, that's really all that matters to them. I mean, it, it may be that you and I are not in their target customer segment, but you never know. Yeah, well, I mean, I think it's good to see what, you know, to see what people are doing on, on, on all sort of accounts, you know, in terms of different airlines. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, you know, in terms of, um, you know, obviously we, we've talked about customer experience and, and, you know, basically airlines are focused on improving their, their digital experience and, you know, digital transformation. What are we seeing that is new in the industry? You know, more recent. I've, I've read about sort of Asian airlines that they're talking about using you know, face identity for check-in, for example. But that's right. So steadily throughout all of this journey, you've seen sort of new innovations, bright and shiny new toys crop up and people make a bit excitement about them. And at one stage, we were going to be carrying RFT little devices in our wrists and then it became about face and if you think about it actually the use of facial recognition has been very widely deployed at airports and so many many airports in the world are using facial recognition for your passage into and out of the airport i think if you go through london you'll see it very regularly you'll see it at amsterdam Schiphol, frankfurt etc and so that one has really come in they haven't made a lot of noise about it but it's there and think about it, every time you go through an e-gate with your passport, there's a facial recognition going on there. And so facial recognition, I think, has come up very fast and one of the one of probably one of the bigger changes over the last 10 years. But remember, it's not all about the customers, of course, for airlines. I mean, it, this digital change pervades every part of an airline. You know, if you're, let's say, your cabin crew, one of the things that has changed for you as cabin crew is you now have very easy access to your roster on your mobile phone. Probably only 10 years ago in many airlines, 12 years ago, most cabin crew would receive their roster as a, as a PDF sent to them in an email or potentially even in the post. 12 years ago, the, the pilots at Iberia were still having their roster couriered to their house by motorbike. Wow. Right. Now, contrast that to having it on your mobile phone, like much better, get it much more quickly, able to change it, and of course, cheaper for the airline. Uh, think about how bags move around the airline system you know in that time in between it disappearing down the hole from the check-in desk and reappearing at the hole at the other end on the baggage belt you won't believe the number of systems that a bag is processed by and of course hundreds of thousands of bags per day in big airports around the world get processed by these systems and some get lost and how do they track them and quite a lot of them quite a lot of that comes down to digital handheld devices 
a guy walking around underground the airport, finding a bag that hasn't gone to the right place, scanning the tag with his handheld device, the digital system locating that, finding, oh, that bag is sitting in Madrid, but actually right now it should be on its way to Frankfurt. So what do we do about that? And how do we connect that to the customer experience for telling the customer, we're really sorry, your bag is not going to be with you and here's how we're going to get it to you. Uh, So all of that experience has been completely updated. Think about food on planes. One of the great challenges that airlines have had to solve as well, how much food should we load? Typically at a big airport, uh, they're producing 100,000 meals a day. Imagine the amount of waste, just terrible, terrible waste if you accidentally produce 105,000. And imagine the amount of really annoyed customers if you actually accidentally produce 95,000. Getting that number right is really important. Learning to forecast through finding out how many passengers are expected to board a flight, what's the current rate of acceptance of meals, do people like the meal, do they not like the meal. When a trolley comes back from an aircraft, how many meals have not been opened, have not been used. Feeding that into an AI digital system that predicts, okay, tomorrow this is how many meals I need to prepare is a business that swings millions of dollars of airline spend and most importantly for me reduces millions of tons of waste to landfill Mm, so sustainable conscious and sustainable plus you know cutting costs where they need to be cut and and also you know thinking about you know helping the airlines with um managing staff and cutting your costs, but but also um, security as well. How has digital helped the security side of things for, for airlines? Well, I mean, of course, the, the area that is probably best known is the, the sort of personal data, the passport and destination data that is passed around from you to the airline, to your destination country. If you're going to the US, of course, you have this data that's called APIS data, Advanced Passenger Information Data that the U.S. insists on getting and gathering that quickly and efficiently and securely and transmitting securely has been a big part of um, security. And then, of course, you know, airlines are all about security and, and indeed safety and security. And you have to think about, you know, we've talked about passengers and we've talked about employees and we've talked about some of the things like meals. But, of course, the big one is the aircraft itself. How much fuel should you put on the aircraft? How can you tune fine-tune the route that the aircraft will take on that particular day at that particular time, given those weather conditions, to use a few kilos, maybe a ton of fuel less than it would otherwise, better for the environment, better for the bottom line of the airline, of course. How do you make sure that the aircraft has exactly the right equipment on it, loaded onto it? Mm-hmm. It would have really realized, like, at an airport, you know, imagine you're, you're flying and you're getting onto an aircraft in London and it's on its way to, let's just say, Rio de Janeiro, right? Big aircraft. And not so long ago, it would have probably been a Boeing 747 and now maybe a Boeing 777 or A350 or something like that. That aircraft will probably have about 45,000 items loaded onto it, not, not screwed onto it, loaded onto it every single time. You know, while you're you're waiting in the departure lounge with the Starbucks and looking out the window at all those guys scurrying around an aircraft and driving little what, what are they all doing? They're loading 45,000 items, spoons, forks, cups, blankets onto that aircraft. 
And it really matters that they get the right amount, right? Because you go, you fly all the way to Argentina and they forgot to load the red wine and you get annoyed. So all of that kind of loading, equipping is really important to get right. But most important on an aircraft that the digital systems have made huge advances. And this is where the really big players, this is where the SAP type players of the world dominate, are the end-to-end digital systems that track things like maintenance. Every single part that is screwed to an aircraft has a number, of course. You probably even notice when you go to the bathroom, if you look carefully, the little thing, the little lever that opens and closes the door has got a part number written onto it. Well, that's true of hundreds of thousands of parts across the aircraft from the, the turbine blade through to the pilot's seat. How often should it be changed? When was it last changed? If it was changed, was it a new one or was it an old one that's been reconditioned? Where did it come? All of that has to be tracked incredibly carefully because safety is so important. Can't afford a single thing to go wrong. And so this tracking of parts and maintenance is a massive part of the use of digital technologies in airlines. Right. God, it's, it's amazing to think that it's, it, it, it is doing so much digital and, and there's so much to think about when it comes to airlines. You know, it's not just the interface, it's the running of the whole, the whole machine, basically. And keeping in mind, you know, as you said, you know, security and, and safety. So there's a lot to think about. And, you know, from, you, from your experience, you know, having worked for small airlines and bigger airlines, you know, what, what is, would you say is a, a sort of common denominator when it comes to digital technology for, for both airlines, you know, in terms of running an airline? Yeah, I mean, the, 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 so there are some things that run right across both, right? And, and so some of it is operational, right? It doesn't, doesn't really matter whether you're a big airline or a small airline. You still got to get an aircraft in the sky, right? And it's still the same kind of aircraft. It might be bigger, it might be smaller, but it doesn't matter whether you're a startup or a hundred-year-old airline. The oldest airlines are about a hundred years old. It doesn't really matter, right? You you still got to do the basic operational stuff. Some of the small airlines have jettisoned some of the operation. Of course, listen, we're not going to bother with this, right? You, but generally, it's the same. Regulation, you know, the governments are tightly regulate airlines to make them safe. That's very good. In Europe, it's done by an organization called IASA. Mm-hmm. And in the, in the US, it's done by the FAA. And they apply the same regulations to everybody. If you start a new airline, then you have to pass their regulations. In fact, if you start a new airline, it'll probably take you two years to show that you're good enough to pass their regulation. All of that is consistent. And therefore, the systems and the digital technologies that run across those airlines are, are the same everywhere. So where the airlines can get to differentiate themselves are really around the edges and mostly around the customer experience, the passenger experience, and to how do I do anything from search for a ticket, buy a ticket, change a ticket? How do I check my mileage allowance? How can I use my miles to buy my ticket? All of those kind of things. And in terms of, you know, obviously, you know, digital technology for uh, airlines, what are the sort of trends we're seeing? I mean, you mentioned AI, for example. What else are they using to sort of track data and and man, and also run run an airline? Yeah, you're right. I mean, it's 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 all about data. It always is, isn't it? With a lot of these digital technologies, about who's got the data, where is it? Can you gather it together, and can you successfully manipulate that data to make a, either a decision or a process? And 
airlines are no exception to that. In fact, they're worse than most. Until I worked with the Commons Project, I thought that travel was about the worst industry for data in the world. But I think that healthcare may be worse. Healthcare is really messy and really disaggregated. And so is travel. And of course, when you came to things like COVID passes, you've got these two old legacy industries colliding. But that's the big thing. It's about data and bringing that data together and modernizing it and having it fresh and available so that you can make decisions on it. And those might be decisions like anything from how much is your ticket going to cost to how many miles are we going to give you to how should your aircraft fly to your destination. Right. So, you know, yeah. And also, I mean, they talk about, you know, it's an opportunity to, to connect. And we talked about interoperability, you know, so talk a little bit about that and how that works. Right. So interoperability is, you know, it's a, become a bit of a hot topic through the pandemic as we started to realize that we needed, you know, things to work together and things to work together internationally. And they don't always work together. And I think we talked about, I've, I've got a vaccination certificate from Spain. It's a European and EU DCC, as it's called, a European digital certificate. When I show it at the border to get into, say, an Asian country or to get into the US, will they recognize it? Or better still, if I upload it to my airline in advance of travel, uh, if I'm traveling outside of the EU, will they recognize it? Of course, it's a very mixed response. Some do and some don't. So different data standards, different protocols. How do you get those things to work together? How do, how do they make that interoperable? Uh, the airline industry traditionally has been fairly good at that, and that has made it uh, quite successful in working as a global industry. And so organizations like IATA, the International Air Transport Association, has championed standards and protocols so that we all understand, okay, if I buy a ticket here, then it's good there. Everyone recognizes the ticket and they recognize the format of the ticket and they recognize the format of the payment. And it's, it's almost like creating a currency. And similarly, if I want to check a bag in, in Lagos, Nigeria, and that bag needs to travel all the way through to Hong Kong via two intermediary points, then all the systems along the way can recognize that bag tag. That kind of interoperability is very commonplace in the airline industry. It takes quite a long time to achieve. 200 or so airlines who are members of IATA, they've all got to agree, and then they've got to implement any changes to those standards. So it's quite, it's quite slow. That's the downside. It introduces a lot of inertia. So in the world of digital and Young growth companies, startups, they find it amazingly frustrating. Like, what? You mean you can't change this for another year? And it partly is because of this need for global acceptance and global standards. So, the flip side is it's interoperable. The downside is that it, um, it's very slow. Right. So, you've got to get all the countries agreeing with the interoperability, the word interoperability. Exactly. It's a new word. Exactly. Yeah, right. Yeah. yeah. You know, and also, you know, what what are the threats that airlines might have? Obviously, you know, we, you know yeah, security and, 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 you know, what about cyber security in particular? I mean, that's something they have to think about. Yeah, I mean, I think, look, every organisation in the world needs to worry about cyber security in one way or another. Airlines tend to be quite high profile targets. And so they're interesting to some of these organisations, criminal organisations, for example. But they've also had a long history of defending themselves against various kinds of digital attack. And so they're, they're quite good at it. I don't think anybody would be brave enough to say 
any organization in the world is very good at it. Of course, it's so topical for us now. But they're quite good for that. In a way, I think their airlines are more at risk of just internal malfunction. And you've seen it with a couple of high-profile industry incidents recently. I mean, British Airways had one not so long ago that was fairly widely publicized that was effectively the impact of an internal server failure. You know, it was not a whole bunch of their technologies were not cloud-based. They were internal home-based servers, you know, literally at the airport in London. And when those servers failed, everything fell down like a house of cards. So what what happens in those situations? Obviously, because I mean everybody's flights were cancelled, and you know it caused all sorts of chaos. So, what do what what do they can they do to you know what's their backup sort of plan if if technology fails? Not a lot, right? I mean, so it depends which bit of the technology, right? So if it's if it's technology that does say flight control or flight dispatch, like preparing an aircraft to leave, preparing its plan, then. Not much. The, the manual alternative to that is way too slow and not considered safe. So if you can't use those systems, then pretty much your planes can't go anywhere. If it's your passenger systems, then there are some manual alternatives, but they're very, very slow compared to the systems that are there to process tens of thousands of people through Heathrow Airport every day. Uh, all the same at Charles de Gaulle or, or Frankfurt, Maine, etc., and so, honestly, there's not a lot. I, I, in my career, saw many of these instances on a smaller scale, and it was all hands to the pump. You know, everybody put a day glow jacket on and went out of the office and went to the airport and handed out sandwiches and blankets, and your airport was suddenly full of people sleeping on the floor and delayed for two days. And below the ground, there were mountains of bags that were not going on the planes they should be. I, I guess, if anything, the airlines are getting at better crisis management rather than protecting themselves against some of the core IT malfunction. Right. Yes, it's quite, it's, it's quite annoying when you're sitting on a flight and somebody has to be taken off the flight and then you have to wait for their luggage to be found and then removed off the airline. Yeah, but better than the alternative. Yeah, true, 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 true. So, you know, I mean, pre-pandemic, obviously travel, there were lots of people, you know, travel was very much, you know, it was a very fast-moving sort of, industry how has that changed after you know the pandemic when obviously all the uh, flights were grounded you know what what's changed compared to pre-pandemic to now yeah so i think as far as the travel industry is concerned we're still sort of in the latter stages of pandemic so many many countries have still got borders closed that's the single biggest effect right so if you're if you're cathay pacific operating out of hong kong you're operating about two percent of your normal operation two Right? That's nothing. Imagine, imagine what their pilots and cabin crew are doing. Right? Many routes either don't exist or can't be supported. You know, yes, you can fly in and out of Singapore, but not many people want to fly in and out of Singapore with a two-week quarantine uh, at one end of the journey. And so the airline industry is still leaving itself out of that. Of course, further west, that's different. In the US, you know, the airline industry has been back to normal volumes and actually you know, successful and profitable for over a year now. So it does vary a little bit. The second thing is that these requirements for extra checks, health documents, health certificates, forms, tests, depending on the country, that has also really sort of gummed up airports. You know, most most airlines have had their online check-in systems switched off 
or partly switched off for two years. And now they're slowly being switched back on. And some travel, as you know, you travel within Europe, you could use online check-in. But many routes, you just can't because the airline needs to see your piece of paper, PCR test to go to a certain country. I think that's changing. Uh, only yesterday, the UK announced that it was suspending COVID restrictions on travel. You don't need any forms, you don't show any certificates anymore from Friday. So that's good news. And I suspect other countries will be thinking the same thing. Why is the UK taking the initiative, do you think? I don't know that they're the only country. I think some of the European, I think uh, Holland has also said it's going to do the same thing. I don't know. Like all, look at every country in the way they've approached their pandemic restrictions. They've all got slightly different flavours, haven't they? Mm-hmm. Always sort of, as, as a British citizen but living abroad, observed it from a distance and wondered why it's always kind of feast or famine there. So mm-hmm. Either the whole country's locked down and no one can go out or anyone can do anything. But good news for the travel industry, I think, has been warmly received. And I think it will start you know, making people feel that it is normal to travel again. And then I think post-pandemic, once you get through all of that, will be pretty much the same as pre-pandemic. Will it be the same? Will it be, as you know, as sort of the airports will be as busy? And, you know, in terms of running the airports? Yeah, so it's a great question. And that's the it's like $60 million question for anyone investing in travel. Will it go back to 2019 volumes? And I think the answer is yes and no. So I think... That tourism will go back. Maybe people have a different attitude to tourism. People, I think, are probably thinking a bit more about the quality of their time and the quality of their life now. And I think the pandemic concerns may fairly quickly get replaced by sustainability concerns. Like, should I take this trip? Is it a good idea to take this trip? Is it the right thing to do? I think where the jury is definitely out, and no one can, is predicting this at the moment, is what happens to business travel? Business travel was not necessarily the wasn't the major volume, but certainly the biggest money in travel and aviation, and that is nowhere near recovered to where it used to be, because pandemic let the genie of remote working out of the bottle. So then you've got a whole new topic for digital to address, which is remote working, hybrid working, the future of work. What does that mean? What does that mean for where people are going to be located? What does it mean for where companies will? hire people? Where will their their workforces be based? Will they still have major headquarters or will they have their workforce dispersed around regions and around countries? And so it's already clear that business travel is changing. There are pundits who believe that it will change but return to the same level. And there are pundits who are much more bearish about the future and think that there will be very little business travel in the future. Well, also because it's saving costs and, you know, you can do what we're doing like we're doing now online, you know, have a meeting online and you've saved all that, you know, the cost of flights and and hotels and everything else, you know. So it just doesn't make sense, does it, how it was, you know, in terms of spending. Yeah, I mean, I think, I think, um, I mean, gosh, who who would have predicted that these, organizations as we were talking earlier like zoom would have come so far so quickly and that our our kids would be going to school on zoom for a year or so you'd have never predicted that Um, and i think what that has changed is people's attitude to visiting for example in in a sales and marketing environments visiting clients is it still as important to visit a client that's always been a golden rule that you must be face to face shake the hand look them in the eye I don't think that's true anymore. I think actually many clients would rather their sales force did not visit them. Please, please don't come to our headquarters. It's too complicated. 
Equally, I think as workforces get spread around more regions and countries and companies move away from hiring everybody in one city to hiring many people in many cities, then in order to kind of glue the company culture together, they're going to need to get people together. And so I think business travel will move more towards large meetings, large conventions of companies where they're trying to cement their culture. Yes. And they may, they may want to do that every month or every quarter, but it could be quite regular and could involve a lot of travel. Um, but it would be a totally different reason. Yes, that makes sense. And will travel become, you know, more expensive or, or will it be more cost efficient due to technology and, you know, and how we're sort of moving forward? I mean, look, this has been a one-way street so far. Travel just gets cheaper and cheaper. I'm not sure if all the viewers of this podcast will remember or have even heard of a guy called Freddie Laker. But Freddie I Laker remember. Was, right, yeah. You remember. Good, Katrina. Well done. Right. So he was a hero <laughs> of aviation in a way in that he effectively launched one of the world's first low-cost long-haul airlines, had a low-cost approach, low fares for London to New York back in the 70s, right, early 80s. It's called Skytrain. And it was, at the time, absolutely headline-grabbing, astonishing news that somebody would sell you a ticket to New York and back for £220. Like £220, like, wow, that can't be possible. No one can do it that cheap. And that is 40 years ago, £220, right, in real money. And now, if you buy a ticket between London and New York, it's pretty likely it's going to be £220, right? Yeah. In terms alone, that is a very, very large price reduction that has happened in that time. And it's all about ongoing, like continual efficiency and technology. I think, you know, as, as travelers, we'll all grumble a little bit. I've, I've done plenty of traveling and plenty of grumbling about the service isn't the same or I have to pay for my bag or my seat. But at the end of the day, we are traveling at astonishingly cheap prices. And just go go back to that conversation we had a little while ago when you're standing with your Starbucks, looking out of the departure window at the aircraft being prepared. Yeah. That the 45,000 items are being loaded, that, that all of the people who are scurrying around are all doing their jobs. And you think, wow, that is a complicated thing to get that big, big piece of metal into the air with 300 people and all their bags and all their food on board and fly it 12 hours to another country. And for that, I'm paying £250. Honestly, I think it's, in a way, a silly price. And I think what will really make travel more expensive is sustainability. We'll I was going to say, yeah. It's too cheap. It will get more expensive, but not because of technology, uh, not because of oil prices, really, in the long term, but because of carbon. Mm-hmm. So perhaps fuel will be replaced. For instance, look, I mean, the, the, well, we, we, if, if we've got time one day, we'll just do another uh, podcast on sustainability. Yeah. Really interesting. And it's yeah. like all the sustainability is you know, easy to say and hard to do. But no, but, but also, you know, digitalizing the whole the idea of it, you know, in terms of sustainable sort of flying and also, you know, running the whole the whole yeah. you know, machine. Yeah, absolutely. So so where, where airlines are getting better is they're getting better at the wider environmental impact. They're getting better at the amount of waste that goes to landfill. They're getting better at the amount of carbon dioxide and nitrogen dioxide that are admitted at airports and things like that. 
the basics of flying an aircraft full of people across a destination and burning fuel to get there are very hard to change. There is electrification, large-scale electrification of big aircraft, my view, at least 10 years away, although you're starting to see organizations, which I want an organization I advise in California, Surf Air Mobility, they, they are very close now to doing short commuter flying with hybrid electric aircraft, like within kind of two years' time. So wow. it is coming, but it's that's a long way to make a difference. And I, my feeling is that we've got to accelerate that change. Otherwise, people are going to stop flying. Yeah. Okay. So, you know, in the future, we will see, I mean, where, you know, where, where we're moving forward with um, aviation and digital, it will enhance things like customer experience and safety and security and also how we, you know, the kind of experience we have whilst we're flying and also the running of, um, you know, the airline. Yeah. I mean, Slowly but surely, the digital experience just makes it that little bit smoother every time until it should be a totally smooth journey. I should walk into the airport, and, soon, and, and by the time I walk into the airport, all of the jobs I've got, checking in and giving my I've already all been done automatically by my phone, and the airline know that I'm in the airport, and the first person that sees me greets me and says, oh, hello, Mr. Tallingsmith, so good to see you again. You've got an hour before your flight. Go and have a seat over here and a cup of coffee and let me take your bag. You know, it should be a nice, pleasant experience, and that is perfectly possible. We're just, we're just not doing it yet. And even now, because of all those systems are not yet joined up properly by digital technologies, sometimes even the most frequent travelers can feel like it's the first time they've ever met the airline. It's like, oh, they never, they've never, it feels like they've never seen me before, mm. which is crazy. Yeah, <laughs> it is crazy, isn't it? But, um, well, Tom, it's been a pleasure talking to you today. There's so much we can talk about when it comes to, you know, aviation. It's just like a massive topic, and especially related to digital. So um, thank you for your time on Tied Together today and uh, look forward to hearing more in the future. Indeed. Enjoyed being on Tied Together. Thank you for your time. I hope you enjoyed this edition of Tied Together. If you have any comments or you have any feedback for us, you can always email us at tiedtogether at cohesus.co.uk.